This morning and for just two more weeks, we continue a series on a covenant of love, the book of Deuteronomy. So I'll invite you to open your Bibles or scroll in your Bibles once again to Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, and today chapter 30. Deuteronomy 30. A couple of weeks ago we were in chapter 28 and I mentioned that Moses was nearing the end of the final of three sermons that he preaches in this book. Today we are at the end, the conclusion of Moses' final sermon to the people of Israel. And it's not only a conclusion, it is, as a number of commentaries have noted, a fitting summary of the message of the whole book. Deuteronomy chapter 30. God says, when all these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord with your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant lands under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers, and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul, and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees and laws, then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life 
so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Last week on vacation, we visited a church at the beach whose pastor was, and I don't mean this unkindly, an aging hippie. So it wasn't surprising that in his sermon he quoted from a song by Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven. He called attention to one line in that song in particular, there are two paths you can go by. I think Moses would agree. There are two paths you can go by. Now, what Moses would say about the rest of the song, I don't know. I don't know what to say about the rest of the song. I don't know if you've heard it recently or read the lyrics. It makes no sense at all. I mean, it probably has something to do with drug use. That, that's safe to say, but I, don't, I can't make sense of that song. But that one line, Moses would say, yeah, there are two paths you can go by. Life and prosperity, death and destruction. At a crucial, decisive moment in Israel's history, God says through his appointed leader that you can choose to love God, trust God, obey God, and God will keep his covenant with you, verses 15 and 16, and you'll enjoy long life in the promised land. Or, you can let your heart be drawn to false gods. You can forsake the true God, and God will keep his covenant with you. He'll chastise you, and you will forfeit life in the promised land. Now choose. Choose life. I googled that phrase to see what others said about choose life. Not surprisingly, pro-life people have adopted it as a slogan. Don't abort children, advocate for the unborn. And some, thinking of ethics at the other end of life, have said uh, we ought to preserve physical life as long as possible, using all means. We choose life. And others have said don't despair. Call a trusted friend or the suicide hotline, but don't give in to the darkness. Choose life. Some have moved a little bit further away from Moses' original meaning, I'm sure, and talked about um, lifestyle choices. Don't indulge in indiscriminate sex or substance abuse, which shorten life. Uh, some have gone even further and talked about physical fitness, exercise, a, a good diet. I was interested uh, in one Jewish sermon on this text where I learned that there's an old rabbinic tradition that what Moses was really getting at is make sure your children marry well and have children. Choose life. There's some truth in all of those or most of those interpretations. But we really need to let Moses interpret his own sermon 
And in context, it is clear that to choose life is to choose God. 4, verse 20 says, The Lord is your life. Choose life. Choose God. Choose to love God. Choose to trust God. Choose to obey God. Choose to worship God. Choose to fear God. Choose to submit to his will, to advance his cause, to serve his people, to believe his gospel, to accept his mercy, to seek his grace. Center your life on God like the planets circle the sun. Choose life. And this is a message for you and me. <laughs> Don't relegate this message to the long ago and far away. Moses is still preaching. God the Spirit inscripturated these words, preserving them for all generations of all God's people. So you and I are right this hour urged to choose life. And that means, of course, to choose to accept God's free offer of eternal life, conversion, <laughs> recognizing that you are a sinner and that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to spend eternal life with God in heaven. But you can accept his free pardon purchased by the blood of his son. And, and, and yet, I think what Moses would say and what God is saying to us today is that choosing life is not just a one-time moment of conversion thing. It is a daily thing. It is often an hourly thing as we choose to say yes to God and no to all the false gods that compete for the throne of our hearts. And so we, we try to put into practice some of the lyrics that we occasionally sing. You are the treasure that I seek. Knowing you, there is no greater thing. All my life is in you. And so daily, hourly, we, we put feet to those words. And although the life that God grants may not include literal, physical, financial prosperity... He does promise his smile on our lives. And what more could we ask? There are several things in this chapter I want you to notice about the nature of the choice that lies before us. And if it helps you to follow, there is an outline uh, with some blanks to fill in on the back page of the bulletin. First thing to notice about the choice we face is that the choice is made possible only because of what God chooses to do. The choice is made possible only because of the choice of what God chooses to do. And you see that in verses 1 through 10. We're not going to reread this, but let your eye scan this long paragraph and notice that before Moses puts choice before the people. He tells us what God will do. God will restore. God will regather his people. God will 
prosper them. Uh, verse 6 in particular stands out for me. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. That's the end of verse 5. And then the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Israel could choose life only because God was going to enable them to live. So that when they entered the land, there would be no room for boasting. It was our smarts. It was our strength that got us here. No, it was God's gift. And no one who enters eternal life will be ever, to, ever able to boast, well, look at these heavenly palaces and these streets of gold. I chose this. Wasn't I clever? We will be forever aware it's all free gift, this eternal life. Someone has surmised, putting it in a picture form, that when we get to heaven, there will be a gate. And on the outside of the gate, over the gate, we'll read, whosoever will may come. Then you enter the gate, and then you look at the other side, and over the inside of the gate, it says, no one can come unless the Father draws him. Don't, don't let any systematic theology allow God's choosing or humans choosing to trump the other. It, it is both and. God is always prior. So one of the things that this text teaches us is that the choice is made possible only because of what God chooses to do. A second thing worth noticing is that the choice is not complicated. Verse 11, Moses says, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you. He doesn't mean that it's easy, but that, it, that it's simple. It's not too difficult for you or beyond your reach, not up in heaven or across the sea, so that you have to send a messenger and say, now who's going to bring back a word from God and tell us what to do? No, Moses says. It's not complicated. God has not given his people a system that is so complex and esoteric you need a wizard to help you understand it. And biblical faith is not one of the mystery religions where you advance through different levels of secret knowledge. It's simple. It's straightforward. You, you, you don't have to send a messenger to the sky or across the farthest seas to bring back magic words. In fact, to attempt to do so would be to disregard God's prior revelation and disrespect God's prior grace to you. Now, Moses says in verse 14, the word, it's, it's, it's right here, it's near you. It's in your mouth. You recite this. It's in your heart. You know deep down what God asks of you. Choose life. Choose God. And then notice that the choice is stark. I'm not entirely happy with that word, but I couldn't think of a better one to summarize what Moses says in verses 15 through 18. The, the choice is stark. There are two paths you can go by, not three or five or 500, 
Just two. Now, we live in a time and place when people want lots of choices, which isn't always bad. I'm glad I have lots of choices when it comes to breakfast cereal or what gas station I will go to and take out a mortgage on. But our culture wants lots of choices about everything. Truth is relative. All paths lead to God. Why, we shouldn't even limit ourselves to two genders. To, to insist that there's just male and female is so yesterday. I don't know if you realize this, but in some circles, even expecting a right or a wrong answer in math is racist. I wonder if Led Zeppelin were singing the song today, if they would still say, there are two paths you can go by. <laughs> Moses would. Don't kid yourself, he says. Don't try to compromise. Don't try to have Yahweh and Baal. You've got to choose. And I hope you'll choose Life. Fourthly, notice that the choice is serious. Verse 19. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death. Moses didn't need witnesses to bolster his testimony. He knew and his listeners knew that he was speaking for God. And God doesn't need witnesses to bolster his word. But every once in a while in the Bible, you have this language. God pictures himself as calling all creation to witness a serious, solemn occasion. In this case, the culmination of Moses' 40 years of leadership his last sermon, his last chance to speak to his people, what is he going to leave them with? What's the one takeaway from this sermon? You ever hear preachers, myself included, say something like this? Now, if you get nothing else out of this sermon, get this. Moses saying, call heaven and earth as witnesses, is another way of saying, if you get nothing else, get this. Choose life. This is life and death. This is eternal life and death. Everything is at stake here. So don't kid yourself into thinking that you have other options. This is serious. And it affects your children. That's the fifth and final truth I want you to notice about your choice in this text. The choice is possible only because of what God chooses to do. The, the choice is not complicated. The choice is stark. The choice is serious. And the choice impacts your children. Again, verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses. I set before you life and death. 
Choose life that you and your children may live. Children, a huge concern in Deuteronomy. 37 times the word appears. Only Genesis has the word more often. Moses is often in this book looking back, urging people to remember, but he also looks forward to future generations. This is a huge concern for him. And he wants the people listening to him on that day and those reading his sermon to remember that the choices you make impact your children and your children's children. Did you wonder if we were going to get through this whole service without mentioning that it's Father's Day? Well, here we are. This is a word to fathers. Now, mothers can listen in because mothers' choices impact their children as well. Abraham Lincoln said anything good that he accomplished in life could be attributed to his miracle, wonderful mother. But the Bible does place primary responsibility, not sole responsibility, but primary responsibility for the spiritual life of the home on the shoulders of fathers. And today is at least one day in the year when we are reminded how important you are, dads. And you are. And our culture does need reminding of this because fathers have become marginalized. A while back on the program The View, which I cannot stand to watch, but I read about occasionally, a guest host, an actor, floated the idea that there are some things only a father can give, and boy, did he get pushback from the women who host that program. Co-host Whoopi Goldberg uh, joked about um, co-host Jenny McCarthy, who's raising a son on her own, shot back, I'm a single mom and I can guarantee you I can give my son everything he needs. And the debate went on for several minutes at high volume with the female hosts paying homage to widows and single moms, and rightly so, there are widows and single moms who do heroic work and, by God's grace, parent well. The writer talking about this episode wonders how did we get to the point in our culture when somebody could say that there are things a dad only can do for a kid and that's controversial. When did fathers become nothing more than fertilizer? And goes on to say some things that he got from his own father. Strength. Confidence, discipline, responsibility, love, all displayed differently than his mother, which was fine. My father also taught us how to be a husband, how to respect a woman, how to lead, when to support. And it's true that not all fathers are like that, but many are. And fatherhood didn't suddenly, after thousands of years, suddenly lose its value. Fox News has had a couple of articles this week on the crisis of fatherlessness. 80% of children with behavioral disorders come from fatherless houses. 70% of 
of adolescent patients in drug and re alcohol treatment come from fatherless homes. Fatherless daughters are twice as likely as average to have children while they're still teenagers and almost twice as likely to commit suicide. And you could go on with statistics, but I wonder if they ever really sink in against the prevailing narrative that there's no real difference between men and women, mothers and fathers. Pastor Greg Laurie, who authored one of those Fox reports, never knew his biological father. His mother married and divorced seven times. But, he says, when I heard the good news that there is a Father in heaven who loves me, I turned to him. And God transformed his life, broke the cycle, the intergenerational cycle of sin. Greg Laurie is married to his wife for 50 years. They have two children, five grandchildren. Our choices, especially fathers, our choices impact our children. So, dads, I'm not going to harangue you. <laughs> Sometimes Mother's Day is all about how wonderful mothers are, and Father's Day is all about, you better get your act together, buddy. I'm just going to ask you what Moses asks. Will you choose life? Will you choose integrity? Will you choose purity? Will you choose self-sacrificing service of your family? Will you choose to work hard? Will you choose self-discipline? Will you choose to love and obey God? Will you choose life for your own sake, for the sake of your children? And if you feel like you've already blown it, You've made so many bad choices, you wonder if you've made an irredeemable mess of things. I've got another line from Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> and this is really for everybody, not just dads. It's especially for you who have yet to make that first decisive choice to trust Christ as Savior, to submit to his lordship, to accept his Father's free gift of eternal life. It's, it's for all of us. Led Zeppelin was not a Christian band by any stretch of the imagination, but they got a couple lines right in that song. The first one you've already heard. There are two paths you can go by. The next line says, there's still time to change the road you're on. Let's pray about that. Thank you, our Heavenly Father, that in your incredible mercy, you give all of us who are still in the land of the living, still breathing, more time to choose the road we're on. Some of us need to make the switch now before it is too late. So, by your grace, screw into our consciences the truth of this text and its challenge. Let us be done with the world's allures and the devil's temptations and choose you to choose a God-centered life. 
And I pray that especially for dads. Help us to set the tone in our homes and in our communities. Help us to resist the marginalization of men and fathers that is so distressingly common in our culture. And have the courage and integrity and faith and everything else that we need to follow your ways instead. And I believe that if we will heed the message of Deuteronomy 30, and especially if men will do so, it will be a different church, it will be a different country. By your mercy, because of what you choose to do. Thank you that we can pray this way, not because we in and of ourselves merit any attention from you, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ and the access that he gave us to the Father's throne. It's in his name that we pray and let all his people say, Amen.